I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. My guest is Chad Littlefield, the co-founder and chief experience officer at We and Me Incorporated, an organization whose mission is to create conversations that matter. Forbes calls Chad a global expert on asking questions that build trust and connection in teams. He is a TEDx speaker, author, and creator of the Connection Toolkit, which is now being used to create conversations that matter on campuses and companies in over 80 countries around the world. I am delighted to have Chad here today because I believe questions are how we change the world, one conversation at a time. So, Chad, thank you for being here today. And let's just start with the basics. I use your We Connect cards in some of my programs, and I'm really curious, how did they come into being? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Uh, when I was working at Penn State University, and uh, I was working with, I was teaching a team and leadership development class. And in this one particular instance, I was working with a group of younger um, students, and they were, their task was to pair up and get to know each other. And just watching it from a distance, it looked really awkward. Um, it looked like there were, you know, like early, uh, early teen um, aged group. And I was just thinking, man, like what could I put in between those two people to make that go better, make that conversation go better? And so um, I ended up creating this like, really, really basic hand scratch drawn um, written prototype of the cards and use them and realize that like just having a thing, like a, a thing that you could touch, making a piece of conversation actual, like, actually like tangible, um, totally changed the nature of the conversation, opened people up, made people more interested to and, and willing to engage. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really, it was like seeing a problem in a moment as a, as a part of this uh, teaching at Penn State. Well, I think it's interesting. It's not just teenagers who need permission to uh, connect with each other. Sometimes adults need it as well. And I see your cards as a conversation midwife. And I think it's interesting. You said, I just put a thing in between two people. And essentially, that thing gives people permission to uh, connect with each other. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, no. That's absolutely right. And actually, um, Jennifer Stanchfield um, is a really wonderful experiential educator, uh, calls, calls this idea um, shielded discussion. And it's the idea that, um, well, I said it because the card allowed me to say it, not because I was actually taking all of the um, social risk. And I think you're right. You know, the, the idea for the cards was born out of working with a group of teenagers, but the majority of my uh, work is working with um, adults and people within uh, companies, and it's still super applicable because when I ask people, uh, you know, what questions do you typically ask when you meet another human being for the very first time? Responses like, okay, where are you from? What do you do? How are you? Do you and right about do you have kids? We start to run out of steam, and we're like, okay, what's next? Um, and so a lot of people can relate to that conversation rut that we find ourselves in. And so having that thing, or what I love the, your language of um, the cards being a conversation midwife giving birth to new ideas, 
Um, it's that's exactly it. It's just I think the barrier sometimes between people um, between connection and separation is like the smallest social risk, and the cards assume that uh, social risk for people. Well, and uh, the we connect cards. Uh, I think it's interesting that you've actually got three different colors in the deck, and so um, you've got blue purple and green and I think some of them go deeper than others isn't that isn't that true so it, it's kind of changing the risk level as, as we go along right yeah a big a big part of uh, changing the risk level but also giving people choice so we actually um, even though the, the idea for the cards was born out of this uh, silly moment we actually spent about two years and used uh, Stanford's design thinking model to uh, really hone in on what the cards are now. Um, and so there, like you said, there are three colors and each of the colors are color coded. So green questions tend to be a little bit more fun and light. Uh, blue questions tend to be a little bit deeper. And purple questions we included specifically to give the introverts in the room a hug uh, or, or, or not a hug. <laughs> um, and so purple questions encourage some level of self-reflection. And so often mm -hmm. when I'm um, facilitating them or when people are using them, you can give people immediate and very powerful choice in the types of conversations they're having by saying, um, you know, choose a card that you would like to answer or pair up with somebody with who has a card that um, you're comfortable answering right now. And so they're opting into a higher level or a deeper level conversation. So a lot of times we're doing business with people that we don't really know on a personal level. And as long as we leave it, you know, very surface, that can tend to be more comfortable. I often use the cards during strategic planning retreats to help participants get to know one another on a more personal level. And I think it's amazing how learning just one or two small things about somebody creates connection and a sense of teamwork. It's a very simple but powerful concept. Um, I'm curious what the largest group you've ever used the cards with and how did you, how did you do that? How did it work? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun question. And you're to, to just kind of validate your theory and what you're noticing in your own work in strategic planning. Um, Google recently launched this big internal research project in the quest to find what are the characteristics of the highest performing teams at Google. Um, and the number one characteristic of high performing teams um, that they found was the degree of psychological safety in that group, which is basically a PhD academic term for interpersonal trust. And <laughs> largely, that trust gets created when we connect um, on a personal level. Sure, there's elements of trust like reliability and did you show up on time, but this was this was actually talking about you know psychological safety. Do can I be myself when I show up at um, at work? So to um, answer your question, uh, a couple months ago I was um, invited to um, speak at convocation at the University of Wisconsin with a nice intimate group of 8,000 students. And walking in, all 8,000 students received a WeConnect card, which, by the way, if you're listening, are these little square um, cards, three different colors. There's a question on one side and an action, uh, image of an action on the back. And so all 8,000 students got a card. And uh, once people were settled in, 
Uh, we did one of my favorite exercises, which if it's even decently framed, I've never seen this exercise flop in any group, conference, association, etc. cetera. Um, and it is a question swap. And it's basically, I invite people to um, stand up and pair up with somebody that they know least in the room and ask the question on their card to their partner. And then their partner's job is to ask the question on their card back they then swap cards and go pair up with somebody new. And so it's a self-facilitating exercise that you, people can be in conversations for as long or as little um, as they want to. They can, some people will swap four times, some people will swap once, some, depending on how long you let it go. Um, and my theory is always to end the party while it's still fun, but I've had groups doing that question swap for 20 minutes, and I'm like, okay, really, guys, we need to wrap it up. Um, and I'll go to pause them. And, and I've seriously had groups say, like, no, like, we're not done yet. A few more swaps. <laughs> um, and I think it's just this, because uh, the questions, the way they're worded and the conversations that uh, they burst um, really bring out this totally um, fresh lens. Like, most of the questions in the deck are questions that uh, many people have never actually answered or considered. Um, so much to the point that actually on the, the opposite spectrum of working with a really small group, I was working with this group of executives, six people. They had all worked together for at least five years and a few of them for 10, 20 years. And I did, the, uh, did an exercise where I had them uh, lay out all 60 questions in the deck, uh, question side face up. And I, their task was to remove every question they felt like they could answer for everybody else in the group. Oh, and boy. since then, I've done that exercise multiple times. I have never had a group been able to remove more than five questions from out of a deck of 60. Um, and I think it just goes to show, like, no matter how long we're working with someone, like, there's still a lot um, to learn. Well, and, and when we're focused on business, we're not always focused on, on personal questions. One of my favorite questions is, how would you get along with your clone? And uh, yeah. for me, it would not be pretty. So uh, that is certainly a question that I've not uh, asked people that I work with, but <clears throat> what a great conversation uh, that, that it gets started. And so you've mentioned a group of 60 and you've mentioned a group of 8,000. <clears> how does the group size change the dynamics and how you approach an engagement? Yeah, I mean, in a, so in a group of 8,000, uh, chairs are really close together, so there's not a lot of space to move around and walk, and so logistics are limited a little bit there. Um, but actually, that question swap exercise um, works really well. I, I think the minimum for that exercise, personally, is about 20 people, because any, maybe, maybe 16, but any less than that, um, there's not enough people swapping at the same time, and those so there's some dead time of people like looking for a partner and waiting for somebody to be uh, finish up a conversation. But in a group of, you know, 20, and I've led groups at all ranges in between that uh, 16 and 8,000, uh, it works really similarly, which is you frame the idea and then you let people go. And, and they do, they go, like they uh, jump right on the train. The thing that I would say, not as a, a word of caution, but an invitation, is in an exercise like that, yes, the colors give people choice, but deeper than that, 
one of the reasons I love questions so much is because questions um, are like a key that unlocks something inside of our lifetime of ungoogleable experience, right? So if, um, if I ask you, Mary, what is life teaching you right now? You could answer that with many, many things, right? Um, and so you get reminding people that they have 100% complete autonomy in how they uh, answer or respond to a question just creates this immense like freedom and choice for people to be able to um, answer the level of their comfort. And often what I find is when they're given that choice that they actually pick the more challenging route and they offer a little bit more authenticity or vulnerability than otherwise um, than they otherwise would normally. You know, part of our fear sometimes around conversations, especially the deeper conversations, is that they might take us places we don't want to go. So there's a little bit of risk involved. And I'm guessing that your cards may have done the same thing. So what are some of the things that have surprised you as, as a result of creating cards? There are so many things, actually. Because So first of all, rewind to the very beginning of our conversation. You know, I created these to solve a problem in a really specific context. I am not, like, I was not born an entrepreneur. I did not think that, like, when I created this deck that uh, these tools were going to be used in 80 countries around the world and spread and really scale in a way that I was, like, not, not prepared for or um, even expecting. And so um, what's surprising me on a daily or weekly basis is um, people's stories reaching out of how they've used them. So even just yesterday, had somebody that I met 10 years ago, hadn't talked to in 10 years, and they called me up and said, hey, I was just meeting with a, they work for uh, Oracle, they were meeting with a client, this nonprofit um, education ed tech client, and they walked into her office, and on her office was sitting a deck of WeConnect cards and sharing mm -hmm. how she uses with her staff um, at weekly meetings where she had the group, she had her team of 10 all choose a question from the deck that they were really naturally, genuinely curious to know about everybody else in the group. And those 10 questions became the start or the connection before content um, before every one of their monthly staff meetings for the next 10 months. Nice. Um, and so like those stories, like specific ways that like I, did, I wouldn't have thought of that's a pretty clever way to use them, uh, but I wouldn't have thought of that. So I'm surprised by the creativity of people. You know, the uh, this kind of taps into something that we used to do at, at our house. We had a deck of kids' question cards, and we would use them after dinner occasionally. When our children would have friends over, we always would get the deck of cards out, and as my kids got older, they would be like, oh, no, not the cards. Um, but it was a way really for us to get conversations started uh, among teenagers and for us to learn a little bit more about their friends. And it was kind of nice uh, when one of their friends graduated and became a, a resident uh, assistant at uh, the university, we actually gave him a deck of cards so that when he had his first meeting with the young people that he would be working with and uh, supervising, he had a way to get a conversation started with them. So I've also um, seen the, the power of, of what a card can do. Um, and to that end, uh, Chad, I've actually picked a card out of your deck. And if you're game... <laughs> I would love to ask you a question from your We Connect cards and see what you have to say. 
Go for it. Shoot. <laughs> All right. If you could give one piece of advice to a large group of people, what would it be? My advice would be to, um, as long as they're rooted in uh, your own natural, genuine curiosity, my advice would be to double the amount of questions that you ask each day. And the reason um, my advice is that is that uh, kids, which researches uh, all the research that we could possibly dig up for our book, Ask Powerful Questions, is uh, has found that kids between the ages of two and five ask roughly 300 to 400 questions per day. Adults mm-hmm. ask six to 12. Oh, my. And oh so my. I'm not advocating that we go back to asking 300 to 400 questions a day, but my advice would be um, double your questions, double the amount of questions that you ask per day because um, you will learn twice as much. You will uh, create connections and relationships and trust, trust twice as fast. Um, you will, there's a whole list of, um, you'll uncover twice as many ideas as if you didn't ask um, those questions. So 6 to 12, that's our average, maybe 12 to 24 questions per day. (laughs) That is great advice. And you'll also innovate faster. And because I work in the area of relevance for associations, you can't remain relevant in a rapidly changing environment if you're not asking questions. I just think that is the number one the number one thing that we have to be comfortable doing. And when we don't know the answers, we have to be comfortable looking for them. Uh, And granted, that takes a little bit of work. But, you know, again, the only difference between tomorrow and today are the questions that we're asking. And and frankly, it makes you more valuable uh, as a collaborator, as a partner, as a uh, employee, if you're willing to ask questions and uh, go after the answers. So I am I totally, totally agree with that. And um, I might even go so far as to say, once you double, then make it your goal to triple <laughs> the number of questions <laughs> uh, that you ask every day. So uh, Chad, this has been delightful. Uh, last question here. What's one thing you wish meeting planners knew or you wish they would do to help make it easier for meeting attendees to connect. You know, a lot of times we walk into a meeting and everybody is sit staring at their cell phones. They're not connecting with each other. Um, but we know from research that if I make connections at an association meeting or event, I'm more likely to come back in the future. So what kind of advice would you have for meeting planners? What do you wish they knew or would they, they would do to help make it easier for yeah. meeting attendees to connect? Oh, I have a, a really quick uh, answer to this, and it relates to um, how you used to take out a, a deck of cards for your uh, with your kids and their your kids' friends. Um, there's an article uh, that was t- I don't remember where it was published, but it was, it was titled um, "Icebreakers Suck and Everybody Hates Them." Dot dot dot. But they work. And so mm. my advice would actually be um, not to do icebreakers. In fact, um, I would actually advise meeting planners to eradicate the word icebreaker from their vocabulary and replace it with the phrase connection before content. So often ah. um, in a professional context, we have this immediate drive to dive in straight into content. And my invitation would be for us to pause 
and create a little bit of connection before content. And um, that phrase originated with um, a guy named Peter Block. And Peter Block said uh, that three of the key ingredients for connection before content are it has to allow people to connect to each other. It has to connect to the purpose of why you're actually there. And three, it has to at least create choice and space for authenticity um, or vulnerability. So can't and shouldn't force it. And so there are, um, that's a big piece of my work is helping weave in a culture of connection before content um, into groups. And so there are hundreds of ways to do it. The cards are a really easy, low-hanging fruit way, and each of the decks comes with a link with video tutorials with 10 different ways that you can create that connection before content. But there are also basic and very free ways like starting a meeting with a question, a, one single question, getting people in the groups of three to discuss that question that ideally connects people to each other, connects people to purpose, and creates space for authenticity and vulnerability. Um, and that's it. Connect before that, content. Yeah, I love that. And when you say to people, we're going to start with an icebreaker, there's usually a lot of groaning and eye rolling. Um, but if you call it connecting before content, I think that opens it's a, an invitation to something a little different uh, in a um, just a different kind of prep uh, before we uh, before we get into the work of, of the meeting. And Chad, I am so grateful that we were able to connect. Thank you for that. And I'm a big fan of the We Connect card. We will uh, put a link to uh, the website in our show notes. And uh, I also am glad you mentioned the videos because when you're learning how to use the cards, that's a really nice way to gain some confidence before you use them for the first time. I carry them with me in my briefcase. You just never know when you might be able to connect with other people using a question. So, uh, Chad, thank you for that. I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. 